Hi, welcome to Christ's Covenant Sermon Talkback. This podcast is a ministry of Christ's Covenant Church in Atlanta, where our pastors and members dig deeper into the sermon and its text together. Our goal is to consider new questions and observations while looking at the passage so that we might more practically apply God's word to our life. If you have a question for our pastors, please feel free to engage our text to pastor line at 404-465-1737. Or if you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our sermon talk back. Okay, uh, I'm Will Kynes, a theological advisor here at Christ's Covenant, and I am really excited about this sermon talk back. We're going to be thinking back over uh, the kingdom section of the Covenant Wheel. We've been preaching through the Covenant Wheel over the last few months, and in the kingdom section, we thought about support the church, relational discipleship, and serve the church. And I have three very special guests with me Today, uh, we've got Abby Montgomery, the Covenant Kids Assistant Director, Jackson Randall, Discipleship Director, and Josh Youssef, who's an elder and also president of Help the Persecuted. And to help us think about these themes, I thought I'd turn to each of them because they're involved in different areas of the church and can help us reflect on how these sermons play out in the life of their church, of, of the church and how they've seen that happen. So let's start with the first sermon in this part of the series, Support the Church. And Josh, you're an elder. You're also the president of Help the Persecuted. Um, So you get to see the impact that giving makes in a way that many of us don't. So first, can you talk a little bit about why it's so important that Christians give generously? Yeah, I mean, I I think, um, you know, certainly philanthropy or giving is not necessarily unique to Christians. I mean, uh, Muslims certainly believe in giving alms. I think it's 5% is kind of, but it's very legalistic, right? It's this sort of a, a regimented um, look, view of, of, of giving. And I think, you know, some people look at the scriptures and they, they say, well, 10% is the, was the tithe of the Old Testament. And some have looked at other passages that say, no, it should actually be is it 20? You know, I'm asking the Old Testament guy here, 20% or 25%. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, I, I just think when this pa- the passage that Jason selected, you know, it's so, it's so great, right? This idea that it's not a league. It's not legalism. This is not um, meet your 5% requirement. Mm. Um, and you've, 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 you've fulfilled your duty. Um it's this idea that we worship a God who gave up everything. Mm. Uh, he gave up the riches of heaven, right? For the splendor of heaven for our sake. And so when you have that as your model and you have that as, as a framework, it really changes the way you view um, your, your, what you can, what we consider our resources are really all the Lord's resources. And so, you know, I've obviously seen amazing things, uh, in terms of philanthropy, you know, there's 1.8 million nonprofits in the United States. You know, we are such a generous country, and I've seen mm. wealthy people, wealthy and poor people, go without in order to give uh, more. And God just blesses them, uh, really. I, I don't mean that like in a prosperity gospel sense, but really blesses them. Um, 
you know, Emily and I were doing a premarital counseling thing recently, and I realized that this couple we were counseling had never really been taught, you know, what it, what biblical giving is or what, what a tithe mm-hmm. is. And I said something to the husband-to-be. I said, you know, um, you know, we sing songs like, I love you, Jesus. Jesus, you know, you are my all. But you don't give anything to the church. I mean, what? What? Where is the trust in that? Where is the faith mm-hmm. in that? And he, he's his, the color of his skin changed. I mean, he, he was like, "You're right." He was like, "I sing all these words, but I don't really trust him with my money." Yeah. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm babbling, but no, I, lo- I, well, I love this topic. Well, and I think you're exactly right. I mean, when you talk about the blessing of giving, it's one of the things that I appreciated about Jason's sermon because the points where you give to love Jesus more, you give to love his people more, and you give to know Jesus more, right? So all of those are blessings that we receive. As we give, we get this opportunity to enter into a deeper relationship with Jesus, with the church around us, and to know Jesus in a deeper way. Uh, and so those are all rich blessings that are beyond beyond wealth, right? It's, I mean, you couldn't pay enough to get mm-hmm. those those kinds of gifts uh, in your life. How have you seen uh, people give in a way that has encouraged you? I mean, you're here with Help the Persecuted. You're on the front lines. Uh, how are you seeing the way that people support that ministry or the ministry at Christ's Covenant? Uh, have you seen them give in ways that has been powerful to you in a concrete way? Yeah, and I, I told Jason this story one time. I didn't I didn't mean for it to be that, that only rich people can give. You know, and I, I, it's all relative, right? It's, but but there was this wealthy couple that I met one time, and they had they were giving. I knew how wealthy they were, and I knew how they could live, hmm. and they chose not to live that way, and they chose hmm. to give instead. And I thought you could have airplanes, you could have boats, you could have all this. And they said, "No, we want to give to the Lord." And they said, "I just remember the wife saying, we're not grabby people.'" We are not grabby people, and I thought that's 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 the mark of a Christian. We we shouldn't be grabby here on this life and in this earth. There was a there's a kind of a well somewhat well known philanthropist Christian philanthropist here in the southeast, and he and his wife years ago, like twenty thirty years ago, decided that they they only needed about one hundred twenty thousand dollars to live on, um, and they have they have stayed to that, um, and everything else goes to the kingdom. And it's just awesome to watch their, um, there, there's a contentment uh, in their mm. life and in their mm. marriage and in their family. Um, and I think we do need to breathe that contentment um, because it's it's so easy for things as, as our income goes up, we can just kind of keep keep going with it, keep riding that wave. But I think I think there's there's something to be said for um, you know living in a, in a way that is countercultural in that in that regard. Yeah, that point you made about um, the person saying, we don't want to be grabby people. That was another thing that Jason said in the sermon that I found really powerful is that giving is a way to become aware of your greed, right? If you aren't willing to give, well, what's holding you back? Uh, Is it because you want that for yourself or you don't trust the Lord to provide for you? Uh, That's a powerful thing. Yeah. Yeah, I had, a, I had a seminary professor at RTS here, and he, he would say, like, sometimes when he was feeling, like, doubt and faithless, and he would, like, go to his online bank account just to make him feel better. And it was such a transparent thing. You know, I couldn't believe this professor was saying, I go, and it makes me feel better. 
But it's like that we do. We oftentimes, it's silly, but we do. We trust in that amount, that amount meter, you know, mm-hmm. and not in what the, in the, the Lord is going to provide. Yeah. Well, and so maybe when you're feeling in doubt or you're struggling like that, maybe the the thing you need to do instead is look for some way to give, right? A new way to give, which is a way that'll force you to put your priorities straight. Uh, and that could be a really powerful thing to do. Jackson, Abby, any other thoughts on giving anything you took from the support the church sermon or that you've seen in the church? I mean, you know, this isn't necessarily coming from just the the sermon, but it, it sort of reinforces a lot of what was underneath it. You know, giving is one of those ways that I've found over and over and over again. Um, we not only are providing an opportunity to worship the Lord, but we're providing an opportunity to sort of put our way, put ourselves in the way of God's grace. Hmm. And, and I just found myself um, terrified at different times to be generous because it's it's as if I'm having to cut something off of myself so that somebody else or some other thing can benefit, and and yet it's something the Lord calls us to in faith. And so, uh, as I've you know sought to take that leap of faith with fear and trembling at various times, it's just been amazing how wonderfully the Lord has met me in the midst of that. And so, again and again, the Lord strengthened my faith, and mm. and that's promoted or prompted devotion and it puts me in this sort of cycle where I want to worship the Lord. So I, so I seek to be generous. Uh, I get nervous about it, but I trust the Lord. The Lord meets me in that, which prompts devotion, you know? And so it's just an invitation to something that's so much bigger than just like, you know, I'm trying to meet a practical need and and yet practical needs are met. You know, I mean, I think about just the fact it's not lost on me that, whenever I have any sort of role in front of people on like a Sunday morning or, or doing anything in my role uh, at Christ covenant, it it's really enabled by a whole bunch of people or various, you know, sorts of infrastructure that wouldn't be possible if people weren't faithfully giving to the church. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, this past Sunday I taught, a class and my kids were over in the children's ministry during the class and we have a children's ministry that's provided for by the faithful generosity Mm. of a people who have received generously from the Lord. Uh, We have children's ministry staff who are able to be employed by the church. We have volunteers who are able to be trained because of the, the, the staff that's in place. All of these things are enabled through people who are seeking to give to what the Lord is doing both at Christ's covenant and beyond our walls. And I mean, if you get into just logistics, it's, it's astounding how a simple act of faith and giving enables basically everything you see as it relates to gospel ministry. Um, I mean, even to the fact that we're talking into microphones right now. And, <laughs> and, and so, I mean, you could just like get down to these crazy places, but um, yeah, so there's a very practical component to giving, but, it shouldn't be lost on us too that that this is worship or it's an opportunity to worship i should say yeah i in this sermon i thought about this sweet family at christ covenant who in a season where they were being faithful to give what they could knowing that it wasn't much they were also just extremely generous with their time and other resources that they had and it's like 
that generosity of time and other resources was helping to cultivate them, like give more faithfully financially. Mm, Um, And that encouraged my faith so much and just seeing, man, these people are trusting the Lord so much and they're trusting that the Lord is going to use these resources, whether it be their money, their time, their gifts, all of these things for his glory at this church. Um, Mm. And it made me want to do my job better. You know, like it's so (laughs) encouraging. No, that's such a good word. Uh, Let's move on to the next sermon in the series, which was on relational discipleship. And um, we were looking at Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. And Jackson, you've really dedicated yourself to relational discipleship. I mean, it's literally your job. Uh, So why are you so passionate about relational discipleship? Why is it so important for Christian faith? Yes. Well, you know, I was very grateful that Jason went where he did with his sermon on relational discipleship, because if you remember, he, he started that sermon with the point, uh, the point of everything. You know, he's essentially mm-hmm. saying that relational discipleship is the point of everything. And I think that could kind of be lost on us. But if you go way back to the beginning of the Bible, I mean, the very first problem that we see is that it's not good for man to be alone. Mm-hmm. And, and so God seeks to... Uh, deal with that problem by creating woman from man and bringing woman to the man and, and joining them together in marriage. And, and so a lot could be said about marriage and the nature of marriage from that passage, but it also begins to lay out a principle that we see throughout the scriptures that, that God's design for mankind is to dwell in community. And, and then the storyline of scripture starts to take place such that you know sin comes and God purposes to redeem a people to himself, to be his holy possession and to know him and to enjoy him and to worship him for all time. And, and so as you start to pay attention, you start to see the, the us-ness that exists in mm. the scriptures. Uh, and then, you know, so you fast forward to a passage like we considered um, uh, during this relational discipleship sermon, Hebrews 10, and, 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 and you see kind of the how central community then becomes to the life of the church, to us growing in uh, our uh, relationship with the Lord. Uh, you, you see these warnings to not forsake the gathering. You, you see these encouragements to consider how to be Christians to one another and how to stir up faith in one another, how to stir up love and good deeds and that sort of thing. And, and so ultimately, this is the story of the Bible. Like, like we want to get hmm. to a place and God has sought to utilize a people to enable that to happen. And, and so one of the big passages of scripture that's really kind of central for me in thinking about relational discipleship is Colossians 1. And, and so you know, any community group leader or anybody who's been around me for the past few months has heard me talk about this ad nauseum. But Colossians 1, 28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so there's an aim that Paul lays out there for discipleship. Like, like what is the purpose of Christian ministry? Well, well clearly it's the glory of God, but, but here he really centers in on this idea of maturity in Christ. And, and he says, so, so we proclaim Christ, we, we toil and we struggle with the energy that God works in us, for the purpose of presenting everyone mature in Christ. Well, how do we do that? 
except to come together, get into each other's lives hmm. and, and work uh, proclaiming Christ, uh, letting him be the center of our proclamation, um, applying the gospel word to one another uh, in a knowledgeable way, uh, that is how we are going to work towards this end of presenting everyone mature in Christ. And then, you know, you fast forward to the very end of the scriptures, Revelation 19, we see the completion of this, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where God himself presents us fully mature. Uh, he completes this process and he presents us to himself uh, to enjoy him forever. So storyline of the Bible, I mean, we see it laid out in scripture pretty clearly that this is um, something the church is to be vested in. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I could go on and on, but I'm very excited about our emphasis on relational discipleship here at Christ Covenant. Yeah, I love how you put that in the big storyline of scripture. So, you know, if someone hears that and they say, okay, I want to be involved in this. I see this biblical call in passages like Hebrews 10, you know, let mm -hmm. us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And they say, all right, how do I do this? What does this look like at right. Christ's covenant? What are some practical ways that they could pursue relational discipleship? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, two things, and this is probably not the best way to take them, um, or I'm going to go a little out of order here, but I, I really strongly believe that there is both a formal discipleship that we should all be involved in and then an informal discipleship. Um, I kind of take that from Deuteronomy 6 and a few other places in Scripture, but in an informal sense, relational discipleship is happening every day, uh, anytime Christians get together, and especially on Sundays when the church assembles. And so mm -hmm. relational discipleship happens you know, in the front lobby or in the back lobby or in between services when we're just being Christians near one another and modeling faith and modeling trust, giving in such a way where other people are encouraged to, to, to depend on the Lord in a similar way. There's all sorts of things that we do when we say, follow me as I follow Christ. That is a form of discipleship. So, so just being a Christian around other Christians is a way that you can engage in relational discipleship. But formally at Christ's covenant, you know, I think there's really kind of three big layers to this. So we've got the super broad relational discipleship context, which is the assembly. So when we gather together uh, and, and we're all in the same room, there is a type of relational discipleship that's happening, you know, from the pulpit, preaching, singing together, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. So there's a one anotherness component to the gathering. But then you shrink that down. There's there's real strengths in that context, but there's also some weaknesses. Namely, you, you, you can't get really personal. So we then have this second context for relational discipleship community groups. And this is really, really where we put a lot of emphasis at Christ's covenant. We want people in community groups. We think this is gonna be the primary place where people are going to be known and where they're going to know others for the ultimate purpose of knowing God. And, and so community groups, um, we have right now, I think 84 community groups with another 15 or so set to launch in the coming weeks. And, and they're really scattered all throughout the city. So uh, a lot of them meet at the collective, the Otley Collective, the Armor Collective. Um, some are meeting in coffee shops and a lot are meeting in homes or apartments um, inside the perimeter, outside the perimeter, but, but they're all just scattered about. And, and so in these places, there are groups of you know 10 to 20 people meeting together, uh, gathering together around Christ, 
wrestling with the gospel word and with the knowledge of one another, they're actually seeking to apply that gospel word to one another. And the result is, in a very practical sense, people are being moved along towards spiritual mm. maturity. Uh, and then there's this final context um, that's even smaller uh, called cohorts. And so the, the idea kind of being that Jesus met with the, the larger group of disciples. We're not even talking about the 12, but just his followers in general. Then Jesus met with the 12, his, his disciples that we typically consider. And then he met with the three. And so cohorts are sort of like Jesus and the three. And, uh, and this is just a context for people to really mine deep into one another's lives and, and kind of linger and ask awkward questions or ask follow-up questions that maybe you don't always have the time to ask. And so those, uh, those meet from February to November. Uh, there's an application process. Uh, we, we really don't recommend that everybody do these in perpetuity 100% of the time, but this is more of a seasonal discipleship kind of context, uh, but a very important one and very helpful one for people to kind of dig down deep. And then we have things like um, the spotted cow. Uh, we have the Lydian. We have uh, different sorts of gatherings that are taking place in a more infrequent, um, irregular uh, uh, manner at Christ's covenant. But all of those are opportunities for us to get together and ultimately spur one another on towards loving good deeds. And if someone wanted to get involved in one of those opportunities, how would they do that? A couple things. Um, you know, you could email me, uh, Jackson at ChristCovenant.com. Our website has information about community groups. And so one of the, the sort of tricky things is uh, people here, we have 84 community groups. They're like, oh, I, there's 84 community groups that I can join. And, and we actually have a lot of closed community groups because discipleship is happening in our church. And so there's a lot of these groups that are full. They're at max capacity. So we're kind of constantly trying to, to um, form new groups with new uh competent, qualified leaders. And, and so the open groups are listed on our website, or you can get in touch with me and I can get in contact with a few groups that are um, that have some space to get people in, but we don't have them on the website for one reason or another. Um, so, so website, uh, getting in touch with me, those are the, the key ways. Cohorts, uh, again, launch in February. So we do an application process really at the end of, the, of every year. So if you're not in a cohort, but you're interested in joining one, you can uh, just keep an eye out uh, as we go throughout the course of the year, and, and then you'll you'll have an opportunity to apply. And, and you know, and I would say too, there's always this desire for folks to uh, enter into more personalized discipleship relationships. And so you may be bummed that you're not in a cohort, and cohorts aren't coming around for another season. Well, you could always go find somebody at the church and say, hey, can we get coffee together? And and ask if they'd be willing to meet with you for six weeks, nine weeks, um, you know, for the purpose of memorizing scripture together or uh, thinking about a topic together or, or any number of things. You know, it takes a little bit of, um, a little bit of uh, proactive courage uh, to, <laughs> to enter into one of those sort of relationships, but, but that's what we're here for. You know I mean? Like that is part of our job description as Christians. Like we are to be ministers of the gospel according to an Ephesians 4 or first Peter two, uh, we are a part of God's holy priesthood. And so it behooves us to lean into our identity in Christ, the indicatives that the gospel produces in us and actually seek to love one another and help one another grow towards maturity. Yeah. 
So you mentioned there's lots of different ways, both formal and informal, for people to be involved in relational discipleship. How have all of y'all seen this done well? And how have you seen positive effects come from it? Um, I can... Go go ahead, Josh. (laughs) I I could speak to community groups. Um, When we first came to Christ's Covenant, we were so hungry for community. Um, We had left really good community where we moved from, and so we knew that we had to plug in really quickly. Um, And we were able to do that here at the church through community group. And we have since, you know, multiplied from that group and from another group and how we're leading a group. And it has been so sweet to see how the Lord has used people who are being consistent um, to come and be in community and who really desire to consider one another and to stir mm-hmm. each other up to love and good deeds. I mean, it's this is a, these are groups of people that we have mourned with. You know, they have like held our arms up when we are weary. Um, and they're also people who have rejoiced with us. I mean, I even think about in this season of life that Andrew and I are in right now, we have a one and a half year old. I'm working, Andrew's working, life can be really crazy. And if there's a day where I don't know what to do with Oliver, I go to my community group girls (laughs) and they are always willing to like love me and love my son and help in very practical ways. And that is like the beauty of this biblical community that we have and what it looks like to serve one another and to just be in relational discipleship with one another. These girls are also ones who if they see something in me that is not good (laughs) that is sinful, they're the first ones to call me out on it. And I'm so grateful for that. They're the ones to say, Hey, Abby, I think that you need to be thinking about this differently. Mm. Um, you know, this is actually what scripture says. Um, or if you don't know what to do in this situation, let's look together and see what God's word has to say. So we, the Montgomery's have been so thankful (laughs) for community groups at Christ's covenant and just how that has played such a huge role in, in discipleship for us. And Abby and her husband are some amazing community group leaders as well. So they they should really be honored in that, you know, just recently I was talking with uh, uh, a guy and he was telling me that he and his wife were, were not finding footing at Christ's covenant. They were struggling. They, um, were not finding community. They they were sort of disencouraged in general in their faith. And where did they land in the Montgomery's community group? And then there they began to, um, you know, be cared for and be loved and be known. And they they started having the gospel word be aimed at aimed at them with a the sort of specificity that they hadn't until until that point. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, what happened? Well they began to grow in their faith and they began mm-hmm. to adore Jesus. And, and it all happened because they got plugged in with a group of people that weren't meeting merely for the purpose of friendship or camaraderie, as great as those things are, and as natural as those things often, as naturally as those things often flow out of community groups, but they were gathering for the purpose of discipleship. Mm-hmm. And, and and lo and behold, this, this couple ended up, uh, you know, sort of thriving in their faith as a result of this group coming around them. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Josh? Yeah, I, I mean, um, you know, I, I called a, a guy that I know from church. He's not in my parish the other day. And I, and I just said to him, I said, no, I haven't seen you at church. And he said, you know, we're just getting so big. And I, I wanted to see if anybody would notice that I was missing. And I said, well, I did. <laughs> you know, I didn't notice you were missing. <laughs> but, but, like, I said, that's not, I wouldn't 
I would make that a habit. Like I don't, I don't think we should, we should try to be the sheep that needs to be chased down. Like we should, we should be leaning in, you know? And, um, and it was a really great conversation, but, um, it reminds me of, you know, the way that kind of the cohort thing came about was, um, in 2020, uh, Jack Rowan, uh, a member and deacon took me to lunch and he said, you know, since I've left Auburn, I've been coming to church, but I just, I think I need an older man to disciple me. I, I, I broke up with this girl at Auburn. I think it was a terrible mistake. I think I'm supposed to marry her, but I don't know if she'll take me back. And he was going through all this stuff, right? And and so we just, I was intimidated. I was like, I'm in my early 40s, but I'd never really discipled someone one-on-one. And the Lord just showed up in a great way and formed a cohort, you know, as a result of all that. And, um, you know, he and Joy got back together. They got married. He's a deacon now. And I, I'm just so encouraged by that, the, the, the hmm. mutual encouragement that takes place even though we're 20 years, yeah, probably about 20 years apart, uh, the the mutual encouragement is just just fantastic. Yeah. And that that point you made about people noticing if you're not there, I do think that that's a challenge that Christ's covenant is going to be facing as the church grows, is Mm -hmm. it's much easier to go under the radar. And this makes these more intentional aspects of relational discipleship even more important to be involved with people in groups or in cohorts or when you're at the worship service just being intentional about checking in with people and getting to know them so that you are supporting one another uh, and people will notice if you're not there i mean you want to attend church you want to be a part of a church i want to say in such a way that people will notice if you're not there, because it's so important for your spiritual growth uh, to, to have that kind of support. You know, um, I was at yeah. Capitol Hill Baptist Church in the past, and Mark Dever loves to say, you know, you call a group of birds a flock, and you call a group of fish a school, or you call a group of Christians a church, right? That's what it looks like to be a Christian, mm-hmm. is to be with other Christians in a church context. And that moves us to the last of the sermons that we're going to be talking about today, which is Serve the Church. Uh, and Abby, as Assistant Director of Covenant Kids, you get to see people every week. Uh, who are serving the church in self-sacrificial ways. How does that affect the kids that these people are serving? But also, how does that affect them? In the, by serving others in the church, what effect does that have on their lives? Yeah, um, man, I could talk a lot about our volunteers and our serve team. They are amazing. They um, pour out so much of themselves on Sunday mornings. I mean, it is not easy to serve in a kids ministry per se um so it is a sacrificial thing and the kids i think notice that Mm -hmm. um we you know with our church growing and with having multiple services it's given us an opportunity in kids ministry to have people serve more consistently um so we have several people who will serve every week in covenant kids and then attend the service um during one of the hours and that has made a huge impact on these kids. You know, they are, mm. they are known by their leaders, by their teachers. Um, and we've done some research in kids ministry as a whole. Barna put out a study recently that really just proves that have kids who have uh, relationships with adults other than their parents who, who have strong, you know, parental relationships as well, but who have relationships with other adults, um, 
it is incredible how it impacts their faith. They are more likely to be reading their Bible. They're more likely to know scripture and memorize scripture. Um, I mean, this, the statistics are very interesting of how this plays out. But this really, I mean, I think serving the church, especially in kids' ministry, it, it relates very closely to relational discipleship and what we just talked about with Jackson even. Um, but, you know, we've seen, I've seen kids be impacted by adults serving them just in becoming comfortable coming into kids' ministry. You know, there's somebody there who knows their name, who knows that they had a baseball game last week and wants to ask them about it. Um, and talking about baseball eventually breaks down these walls where kids are asking great questions about the Lord um, and where their hearts are being softened to the Lord, uh, which is truly incredible and a great joy to be able to witness. And I think that as volunteers, as our team witnesses that, it stirs their faith to, to be deeper. Um, I know that has been the case for me, but I think our people who are serving so faithfully, you know, they are learning to share the gospel in a very clear and concise way as they <laughs> teach kids week in and way out. And that is such a helpful tool. You know, they're able to then go and speak to their coworkers, not on the same level, um, but, you know, hopefully they are so used to sharing the gospel with these kids that it becomes very natural in their conversation, even with adults that they're around. Um, I think just generally I've seen um, people who serve with us grow in godliness and how they serve sacrificially. You know, they are they are pouring out of themselves, like I said earlier. Um, you know, loving this church family so well. Um, and they're making relationships, you know, not just in cohort or community group, but they're making relationships with families. There's this multi-generational aspect to serving in kids that's really so sweet. Um and ultimately, they're bringing glory to God. You know, I think that mm. that is that is so important that they realize, you know, we aren't serving just for these parents to be able to go and be ministered to. We aren't serving just so these kids have a decent time when they're with us, but we are serving to the glory of God. Um, and I think we've just seen so much growth in a lot of our volunteers as they serve to that end, um, which we're, we're just so grateful for. Yeah, you know, you talked about that Barna study, and I've seen research that shows that, and this is a challenge particularly for the fathers out there, it, this research that shows that for kids maintaining their faith, more than anything else, it's seeing fathers involved in church. Mm-hmm. And yeah. after I came across that study, it, it encouraged me to serve teaching um, in teaching Sunday school to my kids uh, and so that they can see that this is important to me, mm-hmm. right? It's it's worth my time to prepare to come into Sunday school and may, they may know that I'm in the service, but actually seeing me take the effort to learn those Bible lessons and, and express them to kids, which another, th- I mean, another benefit that you alluded to is some people will say, you don't really understand something until you can explain it to a kid. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. And so being forced to explain these things to kids can actually grow your own understanding of the gospel and, and of scripture yeah. in, in deep and powerful ways. Now, for all of you all, like, if someone said, I feel like I really should be serving, but I don't know how to get started. How would you advise them? They could reach out to, I think, 
I mean, almost anybody on our staff. Um, when it comes to kids ministry, you know, somebody can shoot an email to me or to Matt or even to Kara, who's now on our team. Um, and we're so happy to get you guys plugged in. We also talk um, even more specifically about serving the church, usually in August, uh, which is a great time to get plugged in. But don't wait until August to serve yeah. the church. Like, go ahead and jump in and serve the church. Um, I, I mean, thinking back to what I said about community groups, us jumping in really early to community group was so beneficial to mine and Andrew's marriage and our faith, but so was serving in our kids' ministry. You know, mm. we got to know people on a deeper level that we wouldn't have otherwise known. We got to know parents. Um, we got to know these kids, and um, it led it led to greater discipleship, I think, in our own lives even. Um, so send someone an email, even if it's <laughs> not the right person. <laughs> Ask, um, and, and we will get you pointed in the right direction. There are lots of hands in, in the uh, fold when it comes to serving the church. Jackson, Josh, any thoughts on that? Um, you know, we've got uh, one of our staff members, Kyla. Um, she's awesome, and she is uh, kind of one of the, the main people that's really helping folks get plugged into serving in the church. And so uh, reaching out to her, finding her on a Sunday, um, that, that would be a, a really great move to, to make. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people out there who they struggle with wanting or jumping in to serve because they don't know if they'd be good at it. They don't know if they are competent. They don't know if they have the skill set or if they have the spiritual gift of serving with kids or something like that. And I, I feel like I end up talking to those sorts of folks fairly often. And to that, I would just say, jump in. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I, th this is a whole other conversation, but I often think spiritual gifts are, are best discerned not through spiritual inventory tests, but through serving and having yeah. spiritual gifts actually being provided and being discerned by others and being called out. And, and so, you know, the, the fav my favorite sort of people that I've interacted with over the years have been those people who have had such an awareness that the people that they're gathering together with Sunday by Sunday are their family so that when they see a need within their family, they're, they're willing to jump because if, if your sister is in need, you help your sister. If your brother is in need, you help your brother. And if, and if your brother needs help getting parked on a Sunday so they can go and worship the Lord, then, then, then we step into that. You know? and, if, hmm. and if our little brothers and little sisters need someone to teach them about the, the story of, uh, of Saul or of King David, then we step in and we, we do that because they're our brothers and our sisters and we care about them. When that sort of mentality is governing us, it's amazing how often the Lord will just cause gifting to to you know grow exponentially, and and the Spirit is able to use that in just really wonderful ways. And so, you know, more than anything, I would just say, jump in, do something. If you do, you'll grow. Other people will grow, and Jesus will be glorified. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, 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 I mean, I would say the same thing. You got to jump in. I mean, you have to, in some ways you have to kind of hug the cactus a little bit because <laughs> it is like working with kids. I'm, I'm a big covenant kids fan. It, it can be awkward. Like when a kid's like, why did God allow these people to die in a tsunami? Yeah. And you're like, uh, you know, you, you, you know, it, it's, but you know, the Lord, the Lord will use you in a great way. And, and, uh, mm -hmm. in a, in a way that maybe sometimes like parents can't 
always do. You know, Colin Chance is such a great leader, and he's he's always uh, been really great with Shep and Finn. But you know, when Colin starts walking to me when I'm picking up my son, I'm always like, "Uh oh, this could go one of two ways." <laughs> um, but a lot of times he'll come and he'll say, "Shep is asking great questions, and he is mm-hmm. he is so engaged." And you just go, "I." I need another man to be to be pouring into my kids so that they see that it's not just me and mom. And so uh, it's so important that people do that. And uh, yeah, just what Jackson said, you got to jump in. Yeah. I mean, in the sermon, Jason talked about how we can kind of think of uh, service like a muscle and you got to work it out if you Mm -hmm. want it to grow and you want to get stronger. Uh, And he gave a really practical approach, which is, at least at first, just try do something once a month, you know? Mm-hmm. And even if that's, you know, it's handing out bulletins, fine. Like most people can do that and it's a great start and it can actually make a big difference that there's someone who's smiling and welcoming people as they walk into the auditorium and it can make a big difference for you too because you can see, oh yeah, like this is good and I find that I'm growing in my own faith and then you can go on to do other things. Uh, so the, uh, as Abby said, there's there are endless opportunities and some of them, I mean, they draw on the full range of gifts that we may have. And as Jason was talking about, we think sometimes think of spiritual gifts as these, you know, supernatural gifts of teaching or preaching or, you know, things like that. But anything that's done for the service of Christ and his kingdom is the expression of a spiritual gift. And that could be helping people park, right? That's expressing a a gift that God has given you and it's serving God's church. And as Jason said at the end of the sermon, all of that is for the glory of God. And it's following in the example of Christ who humbled himself uh, so that we might be rich. And and what a blessing that is. And what a blessing you all are. Thank you for the different ways that you invest in Christ's covenant. And uh, thanks for sharing with us today on this Talkback. Once again, thank you for listening to the Sermon Talkback podcast. If you have any other questions after listening, or if there's anything else you'd like to discuss with one of our pastors, please don't hesitate to engage our text pastor line at 404-465-1737. And once again, if you'd like to find more resources from our church like this one, please visit ChristCovenant.com forward slash resources. Thank you and have a blessed week.